Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Hey, Miguel Iterate here for the Lights Out podcast, going one-on-one with... We reserve the one-on-one spots for real old-school guys, and I think I got a guy here that fits the bill. We are talking live here with Richard Red Herd. Mr. Herd, how are you, sir? Doing good, sir. Doing good. Very, very pleased to meet you. Uh, Richard Hurd is a throwback to the days of NHB, Valley Tudo, uh, you know, no holds barred, no rules, whatever you want to call it, but he's firmly in that category, one of the guys that uh, fought most of his career in 1996-1997 in that era. He didn't fight in the United States that is on the official record, but we're going to get to find out a little bit about him. Um, Richard, you were introduced in your first fight as a Sambo guy. Why don't you give us a little bit about your background before you hit the, the fight scene? Okay, and you know, and maybe I can explain some of that Perfect. The nonsense that was going on you know, as far as guys with these, you know, bullshit records or showing up out of nowhere with these weird backgrounds. Yep. Um, I started wrestling in high school, and uh, funny story, um, I came home with a diet written by my wrestling coach, who was like a lot of wrestling coaches, rather uneducated and didn't know anything about nutrition. And uh, I had this little slip of paper, and my grandmother, if you think um, Zsa Zsa Gabor, upper class, you know, French woman, pre-war, they were, <laughs> saw this thing and was like, what is that? And I was like, that's my, uh, that's my diet. She was like, oh, you're supposed to eat this for a snack? And it was something ludicrous, you know, a tablespoon of peanut butter, a tablespoon of, you know, cottage cheese. Uh-huh. She grabbed it. She's like, yeah, you're done wrestling. Come on, we're going to do, we're going to do judo. It's the same as wrestling, no stupid diets. At the time, uh, France had been doing very well, you know, in judo and the Olympics and stuff like that. So I started uh, traveling to various uh, two schools around here. Um, one of them that no longer exists, but is now um, taken over, kind of morphed into another gym. I probably took, before I went to the Army, I probably went to uh, Judo Jeans up there in, in LA uh, 10, 15 times. Wow. You know, just a very, you know, as a kid, being the only kid in the room. Okay. And then uh, I went in the Army and my roommate at the time was an alternate with uh, Randy Couture on the uh, Olympic wrestling team okay. for, the, for the the Goodwill Games. Okay. So wrestled a little bit with him, got some more judo there, came back, and then uh, primarily did judo uh, as a recreational sport and started boxing uh, just for exercise here in Ontario. And I had kind of seen some fights, some of the old, like, really weird, you know, black and white, you know, Gracie 50s and 60s, sure. you know, fights. Yep. And, uh, went to a couple of very small events. There was nobody was really skilled. Nobody was what they're doing, but they were paying. And ended up, uh, you know, getting a, getting a reputation and, and you know, for, for winning fights. And then... So this is like in the L.A. underground type of events? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like... I make fun of, and people should make fun of, every one of these weird guys, these 
kung fu guys that came in with these outlandish records. Uh-huh. You know, the first time I saw them. And then everybody made fun of like Tank Abbott. He had pit fights. We've never heard of it. Well, that's because you're not from here. Yeah. Okay, that was a legit thing. Yeah. So I, I remind people all the time. Yeah, Art Davey told uh, me a story about uh, going to see like a tank fight, like it was like in a forest or something. But like they put the cars in a circle with all the lights shining in the middle, and and like the fights yeah. would go down in there. Is that you? You saw that? You you live some of that? Oh yeah, then it wasn't a forest. There's it was at Palmdale, out here in uh, out in the desert. Anywhere you can get under the desert. Okay. You know, yeah. Um, the backyard fights. You know, but he thought they were talking. What is the name? Kimbo. Whatever was the first one to. Well, what, remember there was another guy there in the backyard he was fighting. Yeah. <laughs> that guy came from somewhere. So, sure. You, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. Because I know, like, once we start getting into names, you know, you you mentioned Tank. Tank's always. You know, one of the big guys with a big reputation, but you always kind of hung out, from what I could tell, with like guys that were bad boys type of thing. Like John Lober's not like a soft character. You know what I mean? It's like a, a, yeah. Varlins is kind of a guy too who was real rugged in the in the early days. You know, kind of throw down with anybody. Yeah. So like that was your your crew in the early days. Somewhat, yeah. I mean, that's 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 the guys I knew that once we we kind of got uh, peeled off. You know. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, you, yeah. Once the, that makes, everybody comes up from like their I, own scene, and and you, you start getting to a next oh, level, yeah. and these guys start you popping know, I, up. I started with a guy named Rick Lucero, who later on people are, are claiming is one of the dirty dozen first American black belts, you know, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Uh-huh. You know, that's the group. I, that's where I trained. You know, and nobody was a purple belt. You know, if you're a purple belt, you were like some godlike figure. Yeah. Yeah. You know? For sure. Now you mentioned that you you had gotten to Gene LaBelle's school. Now Gene was when you were there. Were you do, doing straight judo, or was there already some type of atmosphere about, M, you know, what would be MMA or fighting? No, I went to the the Jesus. I went to I went to the studio there in West Hollywood all the time. But I would go to wherever he was uh, giving a seminar. The word would go out and get a flyer. He's teaching a seminar at some. You know, we were at school, and I would go pay the $42 to attend the seminar. And it got to where I was pretty much on a first-name basis with him because, you know, angry little redheaded kid, seeing him all the time. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> and, and then I, I kind of did one of my first interviews. I did it more as a tribute to Gina, Gina Dell. I think my, my first interview in somewhere, I just did the, hey, I, what's your goal? I want to be Gene LaBelle. I want everyone in the world to think I'm the baddest dude on the planet. That's cool. You know, one of those things. Okay, that's cool. And and Gene's a, a le- like you know, a legend from those days. So by 1996 yeah. comes your first fight, like that's on the official records here in March, in something called the IFC in Kiev, uh, Russia or Ukraine. Um, yeah. Talk talk about getting to that event because it looks like you know you had already tested the waters out in California and stuff. How how do you make the jump to you know get on okay. an airplane and stuff? So here's the no bullshit story. Okay, all kinds of people have different motivations for wanting to be fighters. In this, okay, mm-hmm. mine's real simple. I have two. Miguel, I hate kung fu. I hate people that do kung fu. I hate people that argue about kung fu. It's okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Kung fu and um, tele- televangelist healers, faith healers, okay. are the same people to me. I got you. You know, yes. uh, literally like, hey, you're. This is a fraud. You're getting ripped off. And any opportunity I got, literally, if I would like, let me show you. I'll take me to your, to your kung fu school. Let me, let me fight anybody there, right? So, 
my other thing is I love to travel. I love to go to different countries. I love to, I still do to this day. I take, I want to go, I want to go there. Cool. I want to go to different parts of Africa. Take me to Japan and take me outside in the country. I love that. Okay. So here's the noble story. There was this guy who's kind of a shady dude. We all know him from our neighborhood. I'm a biker dude, owned a Kung Fu boxing gym, and he had actually a couple of really good fighters. He was Fred Floyd's manager. Okay. And they made a bit of cash on another event that happened in Mexico City, and Fred Floyd could not grapple to save his life. Okay. Could not wrestle. Lily was just floundering. And he, as his manager, said, I will give you $1,500 over the course of, like, two months. Like, give me a class a week. And I was like, you know, I can't teach anybody, you know, one class a week how to wrestle. Yeah. Do you need a sparring partner? So I would come in and try to train Fred Floyd, you know, the big yeah, guy. Yeah, 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 sure, Fred the Mangler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that same guy said, hey, do you want to go to Russia with us? I can get you in, but you have to sign as you're one of my fighters. That's one of the conditions. Okay. And this is, this, follow this, theme follows all the way through and one of the reasons I got out of the time the conditions were I had to be his fighter I had to sign this contract with him because only contracted fighters so I called up the um, promoter and I said is this true he's like I have no idea what you're talking about yeah so yeah I went so I said send me the plane ticket so the, the, one of the things I learned in, in, in sports is if someone's serious they'll pay for everything yeah right I tell all these amateur fighters all the time if someone says hey come to our event and they're like get here and it's somewhere in Florida or if they don't pay for the plane tickets they're not serious sure they don't give you a hotel they're not serious right yep my wife IGJ IBJJJF uh, you know uh, trainer in the, their first event in Miami they had a big tournament and they paid her a plane ticket and bought her a nice hotel room and you know they were pretty they're serious they need her on the map yep. right so that pissed off that corner that, that group of guys but so we get to uh we actually flew to Ukraine, which was an, an amazing, everything about going there was just, you know, I could go down five, six different rabbit holes, mm-hmm. you know. Um, one, we flew to, to New York, and that guy, that manager, Fred Floyd's manager, got the dates wrong, so we ended up staying in New York for 24 hours because he couldn't read the, uh, something like this. The plane lands on the 16th and takes off on the 17th. <laughs> he thought that was overnight. I'm like, no, dude, we're stuck here. Yeah. Um, the, the Ukrainian airline we got into, you know the little air vents above your head? Let me tell you what kind of event we're going to. <laughs> you know the air vent? You can point it, like I'll point it myself or point it you to annoy yeah. you. That was, that hole, that space, that little three by two space was filled with a New York Times newspaper that like had been jammed up there with someone's thumb. Oh, man. And you just there with by it. Okay? You know the, the old plane from the 70s that had the, the, the really narrow armrest with the ashtray at the end of it with a little silver cap on top yeah. of it? You still had the extra. I didn't have the little silver cap on. Nice. Yeah, and it's a one flight in. Like planes come in on like Monday and they leave on Wednesday at this airport. Gotcha. So yeah, so you're on an adventure like full out already. Um, And I'm just. So that's that's what I would say. The difference between my era and everybody else is we were much more adventurous. (laughs) You know. It was like doing contract work. Like, hey, we got this thing. We're going to go to uh, Africa, and we're going to protect this village and this oil company. Okay, I'm, I'm in. Let me get my rifle. Yep. Right? 
and it's totally different. I'm not putting guys down in this era, but you know, it's totally different guys like, well, what's his, what's our weight, and what's his record? Give me some fight tapes on him, and I don't know if I feel good. Let me get a camp together. Guys would call me on the phone, like, hey man, you want to fight? Uh, you know, you know, a month from now. I'm like, okay. I never, I didn't ask who you're gonna fight. You know, of unless course. you wanted to make more money. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, but a lot of the guys was, from that era point to that same thing. There was like a. It's like an X factor that really just doesn't exist anymore. Like right now, the conditions are very much like you know, like hospital-like to fight. You know, I, I agree with what you're saying completely. Very sterile, sterile the word. You're yeah, that's exactly. That's thank you. Thanks for the help. <laughs> but uh, so here we are in the in the Ukraine now. So now here you are, kind of under Fred the Mangler's wing. You know, to get there, your first fight is yeah. this where you met Lober and Varlins and that crew. I met Lober on the plane. Okay. Because uh, Fred, who I've known for a long time, we come from the same group of skateboarders and punk rock guys out here. Fred, Fred, I've known a long time. Cool. I mean, it's, it would not be uncommon for Fred to drive by my my street here in the little suburbs. Okay. Right? Uh, I was trying to disassociate myself really, really, uh, very hard away from Fred's manager. Like when he was. If we were in a group of people talking, and he came up to talk, I would walk away. Okay. I didn't want anything to do with it. You know what I'm sure, saying? Yep. So, um, John and I and his girlfriend, we met, and um, you know, John's a kind of a plotter. He likes to come up with schemes and this and that. And uh, he said, "Hey, we should both because we figured out it was me, him, and John Dixon that could all train together and get along, right. you know, and not have any conflict." And John's like, you got to tell them you do Kung Fu or some shit. I'm like, why? And he's like, because if you tell them that we're, we're basically like, you know, pretty good high school wrestlers with some jujitsu, they're going to know that. Let's get an advantage. So that was John's idea. We should tell them we do Kung Fu. Cool. <laughs> I've never Kung Fu a day in my life. <laughs> yeah, as a matter, as a, yeah, as a matter of fact, you didn't like Kung Fu guys. <laughs> I, I still didn't say it. I think it's a fucking fraud. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> fraud. So now, so maybe a come to where that's more a fight. So you know? now, when you met Lober, was it like, you know, like birds of a feather kind of thing? Because he came up, kind of that same rough way through, uh, you know, the underground scene and stuff, and really fought a lot in the early days. He was like, you know, famously people remember him as uh, Frank Shamrock's yeah. debut fight. You know, I actually went to Brazil. I saw him fight Shamrock in the rematch. I met him. I met him at that point. And uh, you know, yeah. he's he's a he's one of those guys that's legit. You know, more, be, probably yep. a better street fighter than, than a fighter, and not a bad you know all guts yeah. competitor. Why don't you talk about meeting him and, yep. and, and and joining up with him a little bit? Well, we we met on the plane and, and we figured out we were two like minds when it came to like let's treat this like a sport, but also let's treat this like you know like we're mercenaries. Let's let's make our money. And you know, get out of this because the Ukraine trip was rough. It was there was some, there was some nonsense going on in, in, in the Ukraine. Yeah, we I, um, I heard that they actually there there was like a, a like a battle over the actual videotapes after the show, and that they had to be smuggled out of the country. Oh, oh yeah, all kinds of stuff. Like I'm I'm just someone sent me a clip the other day. I'm all, I've never seen that footage before, and it's like the the a real cameraman with a full size full frame camera who was walking in front of us. I'm like, I've never seen that before. So that might be something came out. But like every, it was, so I had these, I got along playing to this uh, Fred's manager and then this other guy who's going to be the promoter, Buddy something. They're like small time grifters. Is it Buddy Alvin? And, 
Becca. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Like just straight up grifters. Okay. Right. Yep. Uh, and, and if Buddy's got a problem with that, I'll uh, put me, him, and John Dixon on the on the same phone again, and he'll he'll hang up and run away. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, just shysters, guys who you know hangarons that decided if I get some, I can be your manager. And like, well, what does the manager do in this time? You know, yeah. I can get you this, and you're, you're getting nothing, but you're taking this percentage. Just they met up, and they got run over by some legitimate. Ukrainian Russian mobsters who were just not taking any of their shit and really like like treating them a booger on their shoes mm-hmm. and it was right away like we'd go somewhere with a big big van and, and buddy or uh, they'd be okay we're gonna do this this and this and like the van door would open and one of these guys in this you know suit would be like you know the one guy that spoke English what are you doing here but he's like oh I'm in charge of this you're in charge of nothing stand van everybody else out <laughs> gotcha <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, that worked for you, buddy. And just to give you an idea, they paid a lot of us. I saw three of us got paid in cash yep. right after the fight. Yep. Cash. Here's cash. Dollars, too. But not, it wasn't rubles. American dollars. Yep. So um, we're backstage, and we go out to the, uh, and they had those big, you know, extra passenger vans. So we get in the vans, and, um, like, I had, like, the shortest fight ever, and I didn't shower or nothing. I was like, I'm going to go back to the hotel. The hotel's, right two miles down the road, right? I'm going to get in the van. I'm going to go change clothes at my leisure. I'm not going to do it in a, this, like, you know, 1950s-era locker room with a hole in the floor. You poop mm-hmm. And they drove us to a casino. Okay. I'm like, whoa. I got my bag with me. I got my bag with my change of clothes and a cup in it and everything and extra mouthpiece. <coughs> I'm holding my bag. Well, everybody else is getting out, and I'm like, "Hey guys, we're, we're, get your bags." So they're all getting their bags, and the, and uh, so there's like this discussion in, in between Pidgin English and Pidgin Ukrainian about what, where is the driver going from here? Just take us to the hotel. He's like, "Nope," and he gets out and walks away. He's like, "Nope." And it's kind of like I was told to drive you here, so you know, so I'm, this is what I'm doing. So we go in, and there's one whole section of the of this little mini casino that's walled off just for us. Oh, gotcha. I'm like right away, my little spidey sense is going on. Like I jam my money in my pockets. I'm I'm not playing any of these games. I'm doing nothing. Yeah. Right. This it's like, hey, we paid you. Now give the money back. And there's like these, you know, second rate looking Russian. Well, I don't want to be. Like this. There were some girls there that looked like their only job was to get their. Yeah, money. business women. We could call them. We can call them business yeah. women. So we're there for a while. And. This guy keeps poking me in the finger. Go play blackjack. Go, go play. Go play. Go. And I'm like, dude, just stop touching me. But you know, leave me alone. So I finally go to break a hundred dollar bill. I think I couldn't buy a soda. I couldn't buy a drink. Anything with the uh, whatever ruples I got in my pocket that are crumbled up. So I break a hundred dollar bill. Um, and I remember uh, John's wife at the time had actually bought us the sodas because I didn't want to drink mm-hmm. it all. And it, that seems really small, right? So I broke this hundred dollar bill. So I go back with, I got like five 20s on me. And I go to the register in this little casino. And I'm like, I hand her five 20s. I said, can I have a $100 bill back? I don't want to carry in too much stuff anyway. And she starts pulling out these ruples and like counting them out, which would be like 4,000 ruples at the time. Yeah. But she grabs the five twenty. away. I'm like, nah, just forget it. I'll take a $100 bill, please. She's like, nope, shaking her head. I'm like, so I'm standing like, hey, I gave you American money. 
You gave me American money. Now I just want it back. Just give me another $100 bill. And she's not going to give it back. So I'm standing there, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to make an issue of this. And the chief promoter guy, you might see him if you ever see the pictures, always wore a trench coat and shirt of cane because he's trying to be, trying to let everybody know he's, he's the mafia. Gotcha. Guy. He walks up, talks to her, looks at me, reaches into his pocket, does the, the, you know, the New York mafia you know, wad. He pulls out this wad and like counts out all this and pulls out a hundred and like hands it to me disdainfully, like here, here's your hundred dollar bill. I'm like, all right, man, all right, all right. we're square. <laughs> and then uh, right about then, that's when uh, Paul Varlas and uh, uh, Boss got into it in the lobby, which was hilarious. They were standing right behind him. Yeah, I heard that we actually had Paul on uh, before he passed. You know, may, obviously may he rest in peace. But and he talked about partying with Boss at that show and that they went through a plate glass window. When, can you give us? A, oh, yeah. tell us that story. He right, he went right. to a hospital there too. Yeah, so he was a foot away from me at the time too. It was freaking hilarious. <laughs> so um, we're walking out, and it's me. And uh, this little guy named Alexander, who ended up coming to live with me for a couple months, who's all of 135 pounds, a little Ukrainian kickboxer guy, guys, little tiny feller. And Paul, you know, it was, it was just a bear of a man. Yeah. Right? We're pretty drunk. And Paul's one of those guys that he gets drunk, he gets excited. He doesn't get tired, he gets yeah. excited. Right? He's like a bucket, you know, your classic jock. I'm drunk, come on! He starts in a big, booming voice. And he had like kind of slid in front of me. As we're walking with one lobby, and he hit Alexander. So that's like six eight three fifty versus five seven one forty. And I grabbed Alexander like he was gonna fall over the boat, right? I'm like, hey dude, you're fine. He's like, and he's looking up at this huge guy. And Boss had gone up behind, had got it, was sneaking in between me. Oh no, Paul! I was walking right behind Boss. Paul had like slid in behind me to try to like put a body lock or some shit on uh, Boss. Gotcha. Because they were both pretty lit. Uh huh. And uh, boss was like trying to get a Kimura, right? From you know, how much you know? Sure, sure, yeah. you know, that Right, right from the from the belly button. And problem is, you know, two hundred pounds versus three forty. The guy's already got to stand behind you with hands clasped. So they start. Boss kind of like hopped to the side, and Paul's arm went into this little narrow section. And uh, and if you think like Eastern European church or fancy hotel, that little narrow window next to a fancy okay. doorway. Like that plate glass kind of, you know, with you know, different colors and I have sure. to Paul's arm just carried into that thing. And huge, like, big old, big laceration. Big. Yeah. Like, oh, dude, that's not going to, no, we're not going to tape that, bro. Yeah, he said he said so, he saw there was a piece of glass, like uh, the end of a hockey stick sticking out of his arm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's plate glass. It's not going to yeah. break. You know, it's not going to break. Um, oh, yeah. Huge. Now he's like, man, he's like, okay. And I, they got him to the hospital. And the best part was, you know, because I've done stuff before. You know, I've been in the service. I've fought before. Yeah, I'm kind of not the best guy to be injured around because I might feel pick on you. Okay. A bit. <laughs> he comes, like, it looks like, and this cut's like eight inches long. Ooh. Right? Big old sideways laceration. He's got like four loops of what looks like leather shoelace thread holding this thing together <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like what is it did, did this guy go out like to the, the boot barn and just like <laughs> what in the hell dude I've never seen anything like that before in my life he's like well that's what they use I go, and, and the stitches are like an inch apart 
this big old loop. Yeah. Like, oh, there you go, American. Yeah. You know? And so I was, and then, you know, Lober, who was a, who was a medic, you know, uh, EMT, you know, fire department medic, we were just like laughing at it, like, dude, that's, that's not going to work, man. Watch that thing, because the, the plane flight's like 24 uh-huh. hours. One plane. Watch that thing, man, because that's not doing anything. It's not keeping anything closed, you know? But you call man up, and a couple months later, I saw him in Brazil, and he had a really nice scar. So. Yep, yep, that's 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 amazing. Now, one of the things I want to ask you here is, now, you've been fighting, obviously, already a rugged dude. You've been fighting in California, with, and you were familiar with the scene there. But you did mention, now, yeah. when you got here, there were some real serious dudes. And now, for the time, you had guys like Igor Vovchanchin on this card, who, you know, who later went on to yeah. become a legend. Igor Garris was not a bad dude yeah. in terms of, you know, memories looking at these cards from there. Yeah. So how, how was your experience with that? Like recognizing, holy shit, there's a different level to this game. I got to say, everybody that was there, and you'll see, if you ever watch that fight, after, I just was reminded of this the other day, after everything, the one American, Igor comes over to me and comes over the the the, the, the fence to shake my hand. Uh-huh. And that. And he and I talked about that. I literally said, if this guy's not the favorite to walk through everybody, including me, something else is going on. Because I think that entire tournament devolved into, and if you hear about how those, some of the guys we, we fought were just picked up out of a gym you know, the day before because things were falling apart on that end. Sure. That at the time watching Igor far because he sparred next to us and being kind of on friendly terms and like I had a slight advantage that I used you know I've been in the military and I know that everybody in the former Soviet bloc nations has been in the service that this is, I knew some, like weird stuff like that the other guys mm-hmm. didn't know and just you know use that somewhere in a conversation just watching him train and watching him hit mitts and watching him move around I thought this whole thing is going to be a showcase for him because he's going to walk through like I was surprised he had so much trouble with guys, and, and, and it was like it was like when the wrestlers first came in, they didn't realize how easy they could take everybody down, so they would screw around uh-huh. too much, <laughs> right? I really thought, dude, what this guy realizes how good he is, he's just gonna pound everybody out, you know. And I I, I remember seeing some of the fights, and, and you know, with more mature perspective, I see that he's there's a bunch of Americans. He doesn't know really how good they are, and you know, he's a little leery. Yeah. Honestly, he could have just he could have just walked forward and started bombing. He, he was so ahead of everybody else at that yeah. time. The people that got him ready that event. The, the other yeah. thing, the um, other thing is that you mentioned too that was a factor in that one too, is is weight classes or, or, or lack of rather because I mean he faced Varlins and Floyd. I mean that's two three hundred and fifty yeah. pounders. So I mean that, that's an achievement onto itself, even if they're very low skilled. And and you know Varlins wasn't completely unskilled and you know floyd you meant you 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 already told us about what you thought of his level but but still 380 is 380 man you know and i mean you face floyd so we'll talk about that but so maybe that was why igor was testing the waters out yeah well like i said it was the unknown to him you know he didn't realize how good he was compared to everybody else he really did yep Yep. you know so now this is the ifc Um, show that that was in in Kiev, and it's kind of like a historical show. Did you meet a guy named Frederico Lapenda there, which is the the eventual promote? Did I meet a guy? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I became very good friends with Federico. So, so talk about meeting him and talk about how you know he kept you know he 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 took you from there into his shows. So talk about how how that happened, how yeah. he, how he gained your trust, well, etc. Well, I I I kind of remembered him being like one of the guys there, and I had, I thought he was like one of the hanger-ons. I didn't know why he was there. I didn't know who he was, and. uh he reminds me of my family. My family, you know, grew up in Spain. They all speak Spanish, and they all dress that way. Okay. You know, you know, well, guys, when they go somewhere, and they got that that same accent and everything. I thought, okay, this guy's somewhere involved with these guys. I, I don't know why he ended up there. And maybe like a week after we got back from Ukraine, he called me on the phone. Cause I, I guess on the phone, he says, "Hey, man, you want to fight in Brazil?" And my first answer was like, "Yeah." He's like, well, do you know where, you know, uh, I'm like, okay, well, you know, what are we doing? What, you know, when do I go? And he's like, calm down. We're not leaving. This <laughs> you know? I was like, because I was like, you know, because um, at, at the time, just before that, my, my, let me back up here. I had a career. I was working for different various NGOs, non-governmental okay. agencies. And I would deliver, I would be part of a group of people that would deliver things to impoverished countries, third world countries, and a very military mindset. And sometimes it was like, hey, we got the two guys dropped out of the, this uh, you know, deployment. We're going to go to Central African Republic. Can you be there? Yeah, what, what, what am I doing? Where am I going? You know, I had that kind uh -huh. of mindset. Okay, sure. So I remember that. him telling me, calm down, Junior. Right? Gotcha. <laughs> and then uh, he like... In one phone call, he's like, here's the things you need to do. And I was like, well, I, I have a passport. I know how to do this. I know how to do that. He's like, well, then, and here's my, my joke at the time. I tell everybody this. Everybody thinks of, like, Brazil as, like, this, especially American guys, this haven of beautiful women and, you know, much more sexually liberal than we are. Do you know where the British, I mean, the uh, Brazilian consulate is in California? No. It's on the fourth floor of the Hustler building. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> to this day to this day it's nice that's good yeah oh yeah you get in the elevator you're going the same elevator you're going the elevator with all the models awesome uh, that's, yeah. that's, so you had to go get your visa there and yeah so I get my visa and I'm like I'm going to Brazil let's go to, I don't I, I have no idea if it's going to be a big tournament little tournament I don't care but Frederico initially impressed me because I was used to these kind of like fly-by-night, you know, any, any guy that could rub two nickels together was trying to throw a fight tournament. And they're talking about He did all the follow-ups with me. He had somebody follow up. Hey, did you get your visa? Okay. What's the number on it? Got it. What's your flight number? Well, give us the flight number. They were doing all this stuff, you know, an organized professional okay. with you. You know, what, so they could go look at the plane and like, and rather than asking some dumb shit fighter, what time's your plane land? Oh, it says two. Right. Well, what, what the fuck is that? They, uh, give me your yeah. flight number. We'll have a, we'll have a car there waiting for you. So, you know, and it was much more organized. And I got to say, having been in and around some UFC events at the same time, Frederico was a, a whole step above okay. as far as organizing, taking care of the event, and things going off smoothly, and and answering all those questions that would normally drive you nuts. Like, hey, is there a gym? Can we leave? What? When? You know, how are we getting from here to there? All of that was taken care of. So, um, I, I yep, that... say of like, oh, well, let me just finish this. Of all the people in the fight world, I hold Frederico Lopenda in the highest regard. Okay, and that's that's a lot to say because 
you know, he was operating really in the early days. Nick Nutter, I don't know if you know the name, Nick fought, he yeah. fought uh, Igor Vovchanchin in Israel for Lapenda at a Lapenda show. And uh, like that show got canceled. He went to the bar, drank, and then the, he woke up in the morning and Mark Coleman called him and said, hey, the fights are back on. You got to be on a plane in 20 yeah. minutes, you know? So sometimes they yeah. went crazy, but that's that's okay. You know, you need a, a, a boss man like that. And he's got that rep. He still works for yeah. the Brazilian government, I think. Yeah. He's still doing stuff. He's in the movie movie business. Got gotcha. you. Now, so let me ask you. You said you said you were you've been around a few of the early UFCs. Tell me, what was your experience with going to the UFC? Who did you go? Did you go to see Tank or Paul oh. Or, or, or? Oh no no. Um, I was at like um, when guys wanted when they were like recruiting guys for the first UFCs. Okay. Like um, there's a guy named Dane Frazier. Okay, yeah, we the the kickboxer. Great, really nice guy, um, kickboxer. Um, they wanted to test to have Zane spar with a guy named Joe Moore. Okay, the black belt from yeah, and, yeah, who's like the first guy to run tournaments here. He's like one of the one of the one of the first like conquistadors of Brazilians who came here to set up Brazilian yep. Jiu-Jitsu. And you know, it's, and I mentioned this because there's a video of it. So they told Zane. Hey, we just want you to roll around with him. We got this little lobby in this hotel, and they told Joe, "Beat him up when you get him on the ground. We want to see what you can do." So they stand up, they, they kind of shake hands, and it turns into like a a really bad jujitsu match because Joe is really, really, really good at Brazilian jujitsu, and Zane has no idea what he's doing. So they're kind of rolling around, and as soon as Joe mounts him, he starts headbutting him in the face, and Zane's like, "What the? F <laughs> right?" Um, you know, shit like that, where it was just really, yeah, everybody, the, the, I mean, you know, it, it still was, everybody was like, even the Brazilians came with a lot of attitude too, trying to prove things. I, I think I, I get what you're, yeah. what you're saying there. Moreira is a guy that did fight in the UFC, but just in my opinion, we got him yeah. when he was older, you know, he, he was older at that point. So, yeah. but yeah. And, and. Let's be clear, Paul yeah. beat him. Yeah, and, and Paul beat him up pretty good, yeah. too. That was, you know, Paul took yeah. more damage from the camera headbutting it than, <laughs> than he yeah. did after that. But now, before you got to Brazil, and we did, we're hopping around a little, but uh, you, you yeah. did another tournament under, uh, I don't know if it was for La Penda, but it was a, a tournament that lists as having been in, in Tokyo. Did you do your three-minute? Oh, yeah, Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Tokyo. now who was the promoter of that? Because that's yeah. actually the WVC one yeah. in Tokyo, and that's the eight-man tournament you won. Yeah, so that's uh, Fred Rico in partnership with I forget that company, but they became one. Okay. So those guys, yes. So, um, yeah, I ended up going to Japan first, and I thought it was going to be like a shoot over that. I thought it was going to be like small, uh -huh. like we were going to, you know, and. Um, like as soon as we landed, I was like, "Oh, okay, this is where they had the the nice limos, and we stayed at this beautiful freaking hotel, and there was you know press conferences, and you know they sit up on the dais and interviewed, and people following us around from different magazines and wanted to do interviews with us, and um, that was kind of surprising how big it was. Because I thought eh, there's not really that many big names here." You know, to me, then, you know, Marco was there and Steve Jenham, who had just won a UFC and, 
that's some other things. I was like, okay, this is this is ramping up. Yep. You know, and uh, so by this time, and I got to go back to the Ukraine story. I found out that Fred Floyd's manager was trying to like hamstring me and was telling promoters, don't let me fight. Don't put me on the main card, you know, um, whatever he was saying. And so John and I ended up being alternates on that show. And I think we had the best shot to beat Igor, no doubt. Uh -huh. Looking back on it, either, either one yeah. of us. Um, but we were to the finals and it would have been a little bit, a little bit more well-rounded MMA match rather than two guys standing in front of each other, punching right. each other. Right. I mean, at the time, too, you, so, you you know, I can see why Igor shook your hand because, you know, you're a big dude, 240. You, you know, you, you I think, yeah. you know, you can kind of tell that you probably carried yourself a certain way, kind of no-nonsense kind of yeah. thing, too, you know? So I think, you know, the A-types mm -hmm. the a identify each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. And at the time, he was yeah. 200 pounds. You know, he wasn't the chunky Igor that fought in pride. This guy was yeah. freaking ripped. carrying that over by the time we get to Japan there's Fred Floyd again and there's his manager and his manager is telling people I owe him $15,000 <laughs> so I decided at one of the little press events to instead of walk over to him and confront him to talk to him from across the room I said hey how is it that I owe you money when you paid me to train for it, Fred and he didn't want to talk about it he was trying to get out of the room and problem was the, the, the door out of this little convention room is to my back he had to walk by me so i just started laying into him hey dude i heard you said this i owe you money come get it if i owe you money come get it through my pocket mm -hmm. you know hey bring fred with you too you know so you know that's it. how do i owe you money and what what business deal did we do that i owe you 15 grand or you know, that he was actually my manager and he got me into fighting and he trained. I'm like, you did none of that. I barely you, know. You, you want me to speculate? <laughs> the fantasy in his head. So, yeah. so you, you, did you say you made 1500 bucks for the Ukraine fight? No, no. That guy had paid me over the course of a couple months $1,500. Oh, okay, okay. All right. I, I, I thought, I thought so, he had taken like 90% kind of thing. You know what I mean? And then maybe the no, Ukrainians no. didn't pay no. him. But, uh, I'm, no, uh, they paid me. They, they paid me. I got three thousand okay, dollars. That's cool. Good. And and that guy had called me on the phone and said, "Hey, are we? Am I still your manager?" And I'm like, "You were never my manager. What are you talking about?" And he goes, and he actually said this. He goes, "Well, I'm thinking maybe like a fifteen hundred dollars finder's fee for the for the Ukraine trip." Well, finder's fee? What are you fucking talking yeah. about, dude? Yeah, one. You know, just one of those, like just straight. Scamming, yeah, yeah, you know? like a like a uh, mooch or a leech, you know, trying to get the trip for yeah. himself. Like what people you... who don't belong. I understand. There's a, there a lot exactly. of those, you know. <laughs> so that... yeah, and, and you know, and he didn't know anything about fighting. He didn't, you know. I remember give an idea of this level of folks. I walked in one day. There was a fight in Mexico called the World Combat okay. something, and this guy Bart Vale was basically getting beat up by a nobody, and he did an arm triangle from the bottom. Okay, right. And there was some dispute because the, the other guy's corner didn't know anything about fighting, had thought that Bart had tapped out when they're actually fighting because his arms crossed over his face. He tapped out, right? You're talking about that famous so, fight Bart had with Mike Batonio. There you go, Mike Batonio, yep. right? Where Mike Batonio's corner didn't realize yep. he had tapped out. 
they thought Bart had, right? So I walk in one day, and this guy's got all his Kung Fu students on the ground, and they're mounted, and he's showing them how you parry an arm and then choke the guy out while you're mounted, mm-hmm. right? And I said, what if he just puts his hands on your face and pushes up? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, some people like, that, like, what are you doing? What, what are you, you're going to get these guys murdered. What are you doing? And like, you, you take the middle fingers and you touch them in the ribs right here, and it's a, it's a kidney. Uh, it affects the, the pancreas. And, you know, that, what? Yeah, you touch them right here in the ribs and uh, shut the pancreas off for a moment. What the? You know, just dumb yeah. shit like that. You know, typical kung fu guy. Yeah. So, like I said, back yeah, Barvel was one of those guys that kind of lived off of, uh, like, a, I believe it was a, a fake fight or a work fight with Ken Shamrock, knocked him out. And yeah. that became like an MMA reputation that he didn't last too long in the MMA world. But uh, is it? He went, to, he, went to Oklahoma, he went to Oklahoma and got knocked out by. Uh, he did okay. He did okay. He got knocked out by the, the big giant Japanese Mur- kid. The Mur- judo Murahami, player. The Maury Smith. My, the guy with the sight. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he was. He was. Uh, Another one of those legends in the early days. But you let's get back to you in Tokyo. Let's yeah. so yeah. Well, Tokyo, I had a blast in. It was uh, very expensive. <laughs> so hotel, uh, didn't do anything. Got to be friends with Mike Pacholik, who uh, was in the tournament. Um, loved Mike to death. Great attitude. Um, and we we played a couple of practical jokes on people, and you know, kind of lighthearted stuff. Um, I forget the kid's name. Remember the two guys with the long hair that fought? And what, 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 we just knock on his door and walk by his hotel room. We'd knock on his door and walk away, and he'd open the door and see us walking away. We just did that every day. Well, he called, he called Fred Rico and said that we were intimidating him, and he left. He dropped out of the tournament. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah. We just knocked on his door. Just like, knock, 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 and then walk away. He's like, hey, what's up? And we'd look back at him and just keep walking. <laughs> right? That's so. That, but the so, good thing about Tokyo too is you got to a little revenge on Fred and his manager kind of thing. To talk, let's let's get more yeah. to that angle. So you had it out with him at, at the uh, at the press conferences where you kind of embarrassed him a little bit. Do you think that you you kind of yeah. won the fight at that point? It's like a mind game, don't you think? Uh, I I didn't. I'll say this today. I didn't think that Fred Floyd uh, out of a hundred fights has one chance to beat me at the time. Okay. And I and mainly because I sparred with him so much and I was not worried about that fight any more than starting my car up in the morning. And I don't mean to sound like a dick. I don't think that Fred ever belonged in that bracket. Okay. That's fair. Not at that time. He had a lot of stuff to do. He was he was picked because he was giant and he would do the weird stuff in the corner and he could kick really high and you know but he was the giant that yep. they were invited, you know, and, and, and this is nothing new. I don't like to badmouth people. I have told Fred this one-on-one, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Um, the, the, the one guy I wanted to beat up, Scott Fry. Don Fry? Um, no, Scott Oh, Rock. okay. Because Scott was walked around the tournament and the event and was a little bit of a bully. Had that, like, a little bit too much of a tough guy, okay. you know, saying, where, you know, as fighters, we kind of avoid each other until you have to walk by each other in the hallway, and stuff, right? 
And then you either you got one of two choices: either go over the top, Conor McGregor, or just look at the guy, nod, and keep walking. You know what I'm saying? Yep, exactly. And he he was he was saying things, and he had told the reporter, "Yeah, you know, when I walk in the room, all the other fighters, you know, they know to be quiet." You know, shit like that. I'm like, who the fuck uh-huh. are you? <laughs> so I, oddly, you so get him in like, the first round, right? Oh yeah, I'm so happy too. Because then it would be no like I had a cut before, I got injured. It was just we're both cold, and that's if you ever see the fight, I point at him and I go, I, I said, hey, put up or shut up or some shit like that. Like let's see if you fucking got it or not, you know? Very good. Because I, I literally just I wanted to punch him. I didn't want to wrestle. I didn't want to do it. I just wanted to punch him in the face, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to see who he was. And it turns out afterward that was just his psych-up. He's a, not a bad guy. Yeah, and that's you the know? case with a lot but of them, I but wanted... it is out of place, and, and, well, you reap what you sow, too. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, um, the other guy in that tournament, David Hood, that shocked me, like, how good a, how good a punch he was, how accurate. Uh, yeah, because that's David Hood. He was, like, a Massachusetts guy. The, the Boston Strangler, I think, was his nickname. And uh, he's he actually, he actually lost in the UFC to a guy I wanted to ask you about, another California guy that kind of... I'm, I'm getting some parallel feelings here that Scott Pasak has a lot in common with you, so uh, maybe I'll let... Who's that? Uh, Scott Pasak? Do, do you know Scott? Uh, okay. No, I don't. He's a... He was one of the original Lions Den guys, and he beat David Hood in the UFC. Ah. And he also kind of, you know, got to a certain level and and, and backed off and never, you know, he actually, Art Davey told me that he had called Scott Pasak about being in the UFC, and he told him, he said, the guy you want is Ken Shamrock. And he kind of gave it over to him. But uh, he's he's another, you know, California guy. I did a lot of underground fights and things like that. So I I thought you might know him. so uh, anyway, so uh, David Hood, that that fight extended itself uh, to be a nine-minute fight. Yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? You, you uh, and 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 you know, a nine-minute fight. Now you're in a serious competition. Yeah. So um, initially, when I think about that, because it's like I made some boo-boos that fight. I assumed he was going to try to come out and like go straight to a grappling message. His, his jiu-jitsu pedigree was a, a little bit more known to some, okay. some folks. Um, my idea was I was going to light him up a little bit. My, my thought was I was going to make him box because he wouldn't, wouldn't be able to take me down. Sure. You know, my, my better wrestling. And I remember like, pop, 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 all of a sudden three fists at my face, like accurate in the little four by four inch box. You know, through my nose and eyebrows. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know? I remember going, oh, man, he's, like, accurate. He's on it. You know, he wasn't, like, you know, overthrowing or he just pop, 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 pop. And I was like, oh, man. Well, there goes that part yeah. of the game plan, right? And then uh, I dumped him. Well, sorry. And, and, and here's a weird little thing I had for the rest of my fight. There was a fight before that went up for like half an hour. Pedro the Foot versus some Japanese guy, and they just grossly sweated all over the place. Okay. At one point, I go for like a single, and I decide to back out, but I end up holding him by the ankle. I'm like, oh, shit, I still have his ankle. And I go to kick 
his other foot out, and I step on this huge pile of disgusting sweat, and I fall on my ass. <laughs> right? And from that moment on, I would go into the ring and walk around and point at places on the mat, dry that off, dry that off. You know, because if you ever sit on one, they're really, really tight, so fluid yeah. stays on it. Right? Even though it's thin. And I would, you would see me point to the ground, dry that off. Because I was embarrassed. I just fell on my ass. <laughs> people. And he, jumped, he jumped on me, lit me up with a couple punches. I got on my guard. And then I remember, and I remember talking to him. Stop doing that. He was trying to push me under the rope. I knew what he was going to do. Or at least I thought he was going to push me so that my face was under the ropes because they weren't, it was the Brazilian rules. They would not stop uh-huh. the fight right there. And then you're kind of, kind of a little less mobile. And then he would be able to, you know, pick and choose, you know, have a better opportunity time to, to, you know, sock me up a little bit. And so I, I was like, okay, you're going to push. And I put my foot on his hip and push him away and push him away. And he, he literally drove me up underneath the rope. And I was like, fuck this, dude. And then he kept driving. I was like, just trying to get back in the, in the ring. And he kept driving forward, you know, hit me in the butt with his knee and like pushing me underneath the arms and driving me up my belly button was up the ropes were up on my belly button I'm like screw that I'm, I'm going to lean back because I was going to crunch uh-huh. to stay in the ring I was doing like a half stop like screw that you know and we, we both went out of the ring and then you know I finally got to do a leg lock on him and bent his, his leg a little bit sorry bro <laughs> um, <laughs> yep you know um, but got, I got my favorite takedown that was the takedown I was going for at first but I, I backed out of it yep you know, so I got that. That's uh, uh, what I call a high outside single. It's like it looks like a double, but I'm only holding one leg. Um, more of a judo variation, but you know, just cuffing with your hand and going up. Once you get your your ear up against the hip, you know, you got him up in the air, and mm-hmm. that was that. So then I found out I was fighting Fred, and he's like, "Oh, Fred had a really easy fight. He fought this big kickboxer, and he got a bye or something." And I was like, "Ah, dude, don't even worry about." It. So I'm like backstage with Pacholik. We busted his hand up, and he's like, "Hey, what are you gonna do?" And I go, "I don't. Doesn't matter what happened." And I was telling him, "Doesn't matter what position we're in. I've been training with Fred. You know, I had trained with him, and we used to do that. All these positional, like Fred, if you're on the ground, hold me down here." And he couldn't do it. Okay, Fred, get on my back and get your hooks in and hold me there. And he couldn't do it. He's like over and over and over. So I was really confident. You know, this day I would advise against any other fighter being that confident. But I was like, you know, unless he, you know, lands a couple. That, you know, stall me out, and then he put, you know, you know, uses that to like, because Fred was kind of a disciplined boxer; mm-hmm. he wasn't crazy. So unless he like lands a couple that make me, you know, hesitate, and then he puts one on me, that's all I kind of got to worry about. And then, thanks to his manager giving him the absolute worst advice, rush at Red, the guy who's a much better, hundred percent grappler at you, and try to tackle him, yeah. <laughs> rather than stand back and be six five and do the thing you do well, which is actually yeah. box. Fred's best was he can box. And you can see that in the corner, him run over there and tackle him. And, you know, you're heavy. That makes you a better wrestler. No, no, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, now <clears throat> one of the things that gets lost here from the early days, but I think it does become a big part of your story, is that you said, like you said, Lapenda's doing big shows. So now this tournament was, you know, not... A you know eight hundred dollar payday or a thousand dollar payday. How much? How much did you get? And, and you know how did that feel? And, and did you know did you get paid on time, etc. etc. Describe describe yeah. all that. So, so, so at the end of the fight, they come into the ring with this huge check, this two hundred thousand dollar check, right? I mean yeah. twenty thousand dollar check, right? 
and they hand it to me. And that becomes like an iconic moment, like you, you guys, the yep. old fight fans, of me standing there with this check, right? Which kind of stunned me. I was like, and, uh, and uh, the guy from Ultimate Nutrition gets in the ring with a microphone. And so this is like a whole, whole other level of stuff I'm used to. And the music starts playing and everything's choreographed. And I was like, holy shit, right? I'm kind of standing there like, that kind of threw me more that, that I was actually going to be paid. And, you know, a guy with a microphone standing here and everybody's listening to him. This is yep. a legit event. Yep. So, um, so I got this huge oversized check. I go backstage, get my eyes sewn up. Fantastic job. And there's another thing. They had an actual plastic surgeon backstage wow. who did my eye up right there. Cool. Um, I mean, with the whole the chair and like the little, you know, it, it looked like a, a scene out of a out of a B movie. They had a little miniature operating sure. room. In there. Yep, the difference between Japan and Ukraine, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh yeah, huge difference. So get sewn up, uh, get washed up. I'm walking outside and I'm like, and I kind of entrusted Mike Petrolik and Lobo like hold my stuff or whatever. And there's two like quarters from the hotel. I got all my stuff on one of those like carry alls. You know, yep. you get to the hotel. And uh, Mike's standing next to it. He goes, "Hey, man, these guys—they're in charge of your stuff." But I wanted—I wanted. Here's what I stand up, guys. Mike is. I didn't want you to, to think I—I I, I let your stuff go. Here's all of our stuff. But these guys are going to put it in the in their van right now. Okay, cool. So they're taking care of it. And the guys wearing a little emblem from our hotel. So, you know, I was still leery of like traveling all these different countries and like Japan's like you know zero yep. crime rate, whatever. And here's a guy wearing hotel jacket. So we go out and like the first question I said, I said to Frederico, I said, "I don't think you sound like a dumb American." I got this big check. Like, what do I do? Do I take that to a <laughs> bank? Right? <laughs> and he goes, no, dude, you mount that thing on your wall. I'm going to write you another check right now. I'm like, okay. And uh, so he and I were joking. I go, what if I cash both checks? He's like, dude, if you can get that six-foot-long check cash, <laughs> Right? So he wrote me, he and um, Fred, the guy from Ultimate okay. Nutrition, they whipped out, they had a, um, it's like a cashier's check, but it's actually a, like a bank promissory note, like a business saying this is a you know gold stamp check. This okay. is good for whatever. He wrote me a check, and I said, "Well, I don't want to lose that thing." Sure. You know, all my bags over here have a wallet on me. I like I got a pair of blue jeans on, and the other guy Fred said, "Tell you what, I'll keep it. We live within 15 miles of each other. We have some mutual friends, right? Because I knew this guy. I actually." the powerlifting world okay. I knew who this guy was yes. I'll keep it and if you don't trust that Frederico I'm like, no no cool I'll just meet you he lived over in Baldwin Hills or something he's a co-owner of Ultimate Nutrition which is a great big nutrition company at the time so when we got back off the airport he was like let, let me drive you to the bank right now I'm like dude I just got off we all just got off the plane you know how many hours from Hawaii whatever let me hit you up tomorrow and the guy called me up like early in the morning hey man you want to go to the bank today uh, I got this thing to do. Okay, hit me up, you know, and he just stayed on it. And I literally went to a bank, and they did a little photo shoot at the bank. Again, you know, with me standing there. He's like, hey, bring the big check. Bring the big check. We want to do a photo with that. And by that time, it, we realized it had blood on the <laughs> check. <laughs> Have you ever seen that picture of me holding the check? Yep. My hands are all bloody. That's f so there's blood on the check. Everywhere I, like, touched it, just, like, move it around or stand there with it. blood That's all hilarious. So, yeah, so they do this photo shoot, and... Everything's great, and, and uh, 
he's like says, hey, I'll, you know, have you ever heard of, you ever heard of creatine? Sure, sure, the supplement, the GNC stuff. Okay, so Ultimate Nutrition got famous because they were the first one to really push and market and okay. make a lot of creatine. So all of a sudden, boxes start showing up in my house with like low-cal protein and creatine and these huge drums of stuff. So I started doing a lot of creatine and started training and um, my training partner, Rick Lucero, who's a former Mr. California bodybuilder, I get him hooked up and so Ultimate Nutrition is basically, you know, just, I could have lived off it. They were sending me like, sure. you know, a drum a week of protein, sure. you know, and that's when I realized, okay, this, this sport could be real because at the time I was still like, yep, you know, this, this is, this made a fly by night shit. And then I, I was a, became a fan of, you know, 20 grand and the check will make yeah. you a fan of somebody. So Fred Rieke would call me on the phone and I would, yes, where am I going? Yep. What are we doing? Yeah, and I think that's part of, of the story here is that, that that's actually maybe the, one of the nicest or better stories from those early days. You know, you get flown overseas, you get taken care of, you get paid, you get paid, a, you know, $20,000, which for the time, you know, is a good amount. And, and now you got to be thinking, hey, you, you might be able to make a living, but then from there, it, things start to change a little bit. So Federico calls you, and now yeah. the next time you go to fight for them, it's the same event, WVC, and now you are in Brazil. Yeah. You, uh, you, you fight, you fight uh, yeah. a Michael Tilroy. Why don't you take me through this, you know, getting the check, being home, and then getting the call and going to the next event? Well, so I started training like a lot more seriously. Sure. You know, I, I quit my job. I was working for a family business. Basically quit. Like, call me if you need me, but this is what I'm doing. And by that time, I was training almost exclusively in California with Rick. And um, Oleg Chakaroff and I started training together. And we would meet with his, his little group. And it was kind of like the outlaws from uh, okay. Gokar's place. So we started training, and then it was uh, me, Mike Bacholek, uh, my friend Alan Wrench, who's you know quasi famous out here for a bunch of other you know weird stuff. We started training here and at our gym in City of Pomona. So I was training twice a day with you know different groups of folks, and uh, this always bothered me, man. Because we went backstage, and Oleg and I were warming up. Me and Oleg and I, um, uh, I'll remember it later. And I was, we're standing on the carpet, and Oleg wanted to do knee bars because he was going to fight Marco Huas on that event. And and Oleg and I are pummeling. And I was always a little bit better pummeler, you know, than Oleg. And sometimes I would, you know, do a duck hunt or whatever, get his back, and he was snapping in one of those knee bars that were really, really dynamic, right? Everything yep. into it. He throws everything into it. And my foot kept getting caught on the carpet. I was wearing tennis shoes. Okay. Right? And I was like, take it easy on that, man, because he, he always attacked the left leg. He, always, he would come in from his right and always attack that, that lead leg, right? And I felt a little twinge, and I was talking to Richard Sarah, like, dude, my knee feels weird. Not, I'm not Richard, um, uh, uh, Bacciarelli, Ricardo. My knee feels, like, hot. And I hyperextended it just uh. a little bit. So I go out and fight, fight, and I land on my kneecap, taking him down when, when I thought I would be able to do it, you know, I was trying for a nice easy takedown and go down while still on my toes. And my leg bent because my hamstring was torn a little bit. And I landed right on my kneecap. I just felt like it popped right out of the socket. Like, what the heck? And it was just a little torn 
torn the hamstring. That's all it was. It was just a hamstring. Yep. So I get backstage. Now, had we been any other tournament, they'd be like, eh, whatever. Well, Fred Nico's got a doctor back there, and he's like, oh, you know, you did this, you did that, you did, could be this, could be that. And I'm like, you know, I want to fight the winner of this tournament. Yep. You know, I want to either be in, I don't want to go out there with a you know, taped up leg because like, I pulled a hamstring. So they pulled me from the, from the tournament. I was like, all right, cool, whatever. You know, the only way that I had the confidence in that is that I knew that this wasn't going to be a fly-by-night yep. tournament, that there were going to be four events. Had we been in Russia or one of Buddy Albin's events in Mississippi, yep. not have gone out. Yeah, but you know, let me ask you now, because you're still, you know, you sound like you got your head on your shoulders, but you're still kind of young at that point. There had to be some disappointment where yeah. it's like, fuck, you know, yeah, I get to fight the winner, but I, I'm not getting the tournament winner check this time. Did that fuck with you? Was yeah. that a, a problem? And that was the first sign about the sport yeah. being fly by night? Well, my whole thought was that this thing is going to end at any moment. At any moment, this is just going to go away. Right? Because people forget there had been some other type of events where they did martial arts against martial arts that made it on TV yeah. once. And Gene LaBelle did one? had been stuff like that. Well, yeah, that was a long time ago. I'm talking about in the 90s. There's a video of a judo guy versus a, uh, a kickboxer, and the guy gets him on the ground and grabs his big toe and twists okay. it. <laughs> just that's, that's actually a year before the UFC was, was held. Just weird stuff. And I was thinking, this is going to go away, sure. right? So to make that decision of like, hey, man, I want to I fight whoever this winner is for that guaranteed 20 because I knew it was guaranteed. Fred Rico was not going to gap off you know, paying whoever the winner was. He just wasn't going to sure. do it, you know, just go out, you know, maybe have a poor showing. Cause remember your resume at this time is not a bunch of people right. talking online. Your resume is yep. just what funny. people see. Just now, let me ask you, did you get a chance in that show? Like, okay, you went, you, 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 you've been banged up. The, the doctors checked you in the back, but did you get a chance to see Pedro Rizzo? Yeah. So well, yeah, dude, talk, talk to me yeah. about like, yeah, and, and then eventually you said, I want to fight the winner and I, I want him for next show. So tell me your thought process there, what you, how you looked at him because he would go on from there to like a Hall of Fame career. So give us that first impression. Um, the first time we met, like that, that was that trip, um, he and I actually got along. As soon as I dropped out, I'm no longer, he and I are no longer competing in that event. And we're staying at a big, beautiful hotel, the big lobby. Um, so afterwards, he spoke English. So we started like talking, and I was, you know, all these, all this night, the, the San Paulo nightlife is insane. Sure. Right. And I, I'm, was, I was not that guy at the time. And Pedro, Pedro is kind of like a, yeah. he's from the country, you know, versus and, and so I was like, hey, what are there? Is there like a a restaurant that's not five star, but we could go eat there, but it's not also a dance club somewhere around there. And he would ask around for me because he's not from there either, but he would ask around. So we, we got along sure. initially. And so I was kind of looking forward to fighting him when uh, Federico made the obvious choice. Hey, you won the last, you won the one before that. He won this one. Are you, you know, do you want to sign to fight him? And I was like, yes. But I thought the event was going to be canceled because we had a uh, two times we had visa issues with uh -huh. the tournament where guys had gotten the wrong 
uh, and people from the Brazilian uh, government came and had stopped the show. So I started training, and then I got pretty good word, hey, we're going to put this tournament off for another two months. And so I wasn't what we would right. call today in a camp. And I was told, hey, you know what? Tournament's on. Can you be here? You know, we're going to send you a plane ticket 10 days. I was like, oh, shit. Well, yeah. So, I mean, it's not an excuse. Pedro, he's all kicked my ass. He used me as a heavy bag for like 12, 13 minutes. Let's be clear. But I thought the tournament was going to be delayed because of the visa issue, which actually happened in the uh, UFC with Rick Lucero when I went and right. wanted Rick. And we had to fly to Argentina. But that's a whole other story. So I was looking forward to it because I thought it would be a good matchup. I thought I had a good game plan. He just ran through my game plan. Yep. Now, you know, I was what was first five minutes of life yep. with my game what plan. Was the, what was the loser's end of that purse for you? Uh, I came out like five minutes. Plus all the purse. Remember, the legitimate, so I was getting paid per diem. So yeah. 300 bucks a day. Yeah, no, no. That, it's, that's... You know, to, to hats off to Lapenda because that's exceptional money. That's and that's more money than the UFC was paying. Oh. Uh, you know, very quickly after that. So, um, you know, in, yeah. in that respect, definitely hats off to him. But at the same time, when you you know you expect twenty as a as a dude trying to live his life, you expect you know come out as the winner, go home with twenty grand. Now you got five to pay the bills. That, yeah. That's a big effect. That, and I, I think that, that that's yeah. part of what your story was. I, I read a couple of things online. Is that it, was that a big effect on you? Oh yeah, I I, I wasn't planning I, in my mind this thing was going away, and I was going to take from it what I could, which was mainly the the fun of traveling and going somewhere and you know being treated well and you know fighting was 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 a a great thing to have. There's nothing yeah. better than being in the ring. It's just the best part of my life. I've all been standing in front uh-huh. of somebody ready to fight them. No doubt about that. But I was always thinking this event's canceled. We're going home. We're going to tell stories about hey, this. Hey, here we are. <laughs> the, the, the whole thing would fall apart. I literally thought, you know, and you got to remember, this is right at the time when states, yeah, falling off pay per view in the UFC, John McCain, all that stuff. You're no, you're absolutely right. The the shows overseas where where you were already in were really the only ones where there was any hope. So now, now let me ask you. You mentioned Oleg, yeah. and uh, was he like a later training partner of yours? Is there any stories about about the Russian bear you can tell us? We interviewed him, and he's a phenomenally fun interview as well. Uh, okay, I'm gonna tell you a funny story sure. about Oleg. Okay. Because Oleg and I spent the time together. We're in Japan. Now, Oleg, now listen. I love Oleg to death. He's a funny guy. Some, uh, so, if anyone hears this, I want them to understand. First of all, Oleg is not a racist. Okay? But sometimes he would tell jokes and he didn't get the implication sure. in English. All right? So, we're in Japan and we get on this bus. And... Some of the Brazilians, the delivery guys, are loud and they're drunk, you know, because they're celebrating. You know, their guys had victories that night. And we're like, there's like two buses. So it's me, uh, Mike Pacholik, and Oleg. And we're like, did we get on the wrong damn bus? Hey, let's go. We're like, we've been sitting here for, for like 15, 20 minutes because the Brazilians are coming on the bus and they're going off the bus. They're coming on the bus and the bus driver is getting perturbed. 
right? And it's just loud. And, you know, guys are after, you know, you're, you're, you're one of the seconds, you know, you're, you're in the camp and you're like, my guy is the greatest in the world. And that makes me the greatest in the world. And, and it was just, it was, it was funny how like out of control they were. And Oleg, who's sitting a little bit in front of me, a couple of seats, turns in the aisle. He says, if I can get it right. He says, the Brazilians are not like us. It's like Jungle Book. And they're <laughs> Oh my god! Like, oh my god! Do you realize what you just said? And Petrolik's like, dude, we're in the back of the bus, and I will climb out of one of these windows and leave you guys here. That is great. That's <laughs> great. The funny thing is, is that Luda Livre team that was Ruas and those guys, if I'm not mistaken, for the Tokyo. Yeah. And 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 Oleg and yeah, Ruas would go on to be friends, R- rivals, and then yeah, friends. Well, Pedro and I. Oh, Pedro, Hitro, and I. Talk and send pictures to each other oh, that's pretty cool. much every week. That's really good. Yeah, we I we interviewed yeah. Pedro and and uh you know he was surprised I remembered you, but I was like, man, no no Richard Hurd was like he was one of the early guys that wasn't a brawler, that was a skill guy, you know what I mean? So yeah. so definitely for sure. Yeah. And he, he gave you a lot of respect in that fight. Now let me ask you, since with with those uh with those circles that you rolled in, did Marco Ruas actually beat up Frederico Lependa at one of these shows? There's a rumor that he he no. he managed him, and then later you know ended the management by beating up Lapenda. That's the rumor. I'm no. So, so what I remember is a guy named. Are you from? Where are you from? Yeah, I'm Back a New Yorker New originally. Yeah. Okay. There's a there's a newscaster out here called Gary Cruz, who was like oh, the sportscaster, and he would do baseball and football, and he's from right here, my neighborhood. I would see him on. Gary Cruz, KCAL Channel 9 News. He came down and he started doing uh, the announcements for the fight. And then he, the fight up and he, and he had said it was, uh, the first one he did was Mark Kerr, the pounding machine thing. And he was hanging around a lot with me and Rick Lucero because he, he didn't, there were everybody, everybody else was Brazilian or, or and he's like, I, I keep getting confused about these terms. Mount, but, so, when we went down to roll, me, Mark Kerr, and Rick Lucero, and the coach, whatever, the U.S. Olympic alternate coach, whatever, we were going over terminology with him. He said, so he said yeah, I was up in the hotel room with uh, Hujas and Frederico, and I was having the same conversation, and Hujas just grabbed Frederico and threw him on the ground and started telling him in Portuguese, tell him what this means. And Frederico was like, get off of me! <laughs> you know? Because yeah, you know, I, I guess maybe that story morphed, but I have never heard anything about him beat. I I went out with uh, me, me, Marco, Frederico. We all met here in L.A. after the, after the fight, after my fight with Pedro, and we all went to dinner a couple times and hung out in L.A. Um, I never saw any okay. bad blood other than that's cool. You know, they were fun. They were. I didn't. My my Portuguese is, is horrific. Um, but because I speak a little Spanish, I understand some of it. And they were just okay. funny together. That's cool. You know? But I've never heard of any. That's cool. I guess it came, either came later or, you know, it's a false rumor. But, hey, now, yeah. you mentioned Rick Lucero. Why, yeah. why don't you give him some props? Because there's an old school name that, you know, doesn't get a lot of love these days. But, you know, probably deserves more love than he gets. Okay. So here, here's my – Rick Lucero and I have known each other since um, high school. 
we all trained at this guy who should be famous. This guy should be famous. And if you pay attention, you'll see him in certain videos. We trained at this guy named Brad Barrett Gym, bodybuilding gym. Brad Barrett owns Gold Gym, he owns Body Factory. And, you know, Rick, little guy, he competed as a powerlifter and he made it to Mr. California. Really good looking, crazy physique. He's the first guy I know that got into jujitsu. Okay. Period. And so I, when I first got in the army, I would go train, I uh, would go there to like get exercise, workout, and you know, uh, you know, I was already a judo black belt, so I spoke the same language and like roll with them. And so when I got into the sport, my first hit was I got to let me go hit up Rick. And Rick and I had, we, at one point, we we dated the same girl like two years apart. We're like okay, that, gotcha. in that group of people, right? So the guy from Ultimate Nutrition, uh, Fred, always hung around at the same gym that we did. Because he was a former powerlifter, Brad Barrett's uh, Gold Gym here in Upland. And Brad Barrett basically said, you guys can train here whenever you want, train for free. I got this extra room if you want to put a mat room up in there. So it kind of started there, and then Rick moved his gym south into Pomona and kind of got the same deal. But Brad, Brad Barrett was always like my sponsor. Like I could go to him, you know, hey, I want to bring in 10 guys we're going to train for this weekend. Okay. Have cool. If you ever heard of King of the Cage, sure, yeah. the California event, Terry Tobocock okay. and those guys. So when that started, so when that started, they were the couple guys were asking me if I wanted to be a part of it because I was making waves with uh, my friend Alan Wrench and I had thrown a couple of jujitsu and a couple of grappling tournaments, and I was like, ah, you know, and it was going to be in Mexico. Well, they they got their own thing started, and I introduced them to Brad Barrett because Brad Barrett had become Marco, who was his personal trainer. If you ever look at that cartoon drawing in the, the huge buffed up ball guy oh, that's the, okay. the icon of the king of the cage that's that's a drawing I got you. brad Barrett. i got you that's the famous cool that's his post he was their first referee the guy with the yep, monstrous yep. arms sure always wore black i that's got brad you Barrett. cool cool and brad Barrett helped with 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 boss rutin was with marco was with me was with Rick and he never got any credit for it. Sure, sure. one of those early sponsor type guys that just kind of liked the business and took care of it. Yeah. Now, I heard uh, at the end of the day that you have become a jujitsu guy too and, and, and taken on, uh, you know, the belt system, gotten a black belt. Are you under Wander Braga? Talk, talk yes, a little bit about, about Wander uh, and the school that's going on there. And I, also, your kids train there and stuff. So, why don't you catch us up on that yeah. whole thing and 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 and, and Wander's jujitsu? Okay, so so Wander and I here's the relationship. Wander is the black belt of the the guy that trained me, who is my old roommate, guy named guy named Trevor uh, okay. I'm still training. I, I, so I, I joined the sheriff's department 23 years ago. Okay. That's been my life. I've gone through a whole progression with the sheriff's department. Um, I would go here, go there, go to train. My son gets about seven, eight years old. He wants to come train with me. I'd rather get him into a you know, full-time gym. So I call my friend up. Hey, can we come over? We start training there. I say, listen, my belt status is, is all messed up because whoever promoted me didn't really have the right to promote me. You know, it's kind of back in the white guy's anti-Brazilian yeah. jiu-jitsu nonsense. Let me come and train. So Wander and I have never actually oh, personally okay. met. So I've trained with Tata, his, his black belt. 
and George Pereira. Who's his master? Right? Actually, George Pereira is actually Wander's master, I think. He, he gave him, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I trained with those guys, but never, never Wander. So that, I go through the whole field. I'm like, okay, let me. Let me humble up and just go through this whole that's, freaking system. That's again. very cool. That's you, know very, you know, some people do it, some people resist it. But, you know, I think it's a nice journey for you to put yourself through, especially as a police officer, you know, or a sheriff later. Now, did you ever, do you know Bolander, Jerry Bolander, the, the old Lions Den guys? He's a, he's a police a officer, too. Yeah. I, yeah. I've, I've knew, I knew Jerry when uh, I gave Jerry some advice one time and he, he thought it was dumb and then. Then he called me back one time and said, that was brilliant. <laughs> I, Jerry had, had, had made it known that he was a very good wrestler. And I said, and you're doing it wrong. That's what we're talking about. I said, you're taking everybody yeah. down. Two things. If you get in there in one of these Olympic class wrestlers, you're not going to take him down. So there goes your whole strong suit of your fight. I said, why don't you think about this? Use your wrestling to not be taken down by anybody. No, man. I, I'm a wrestler. I'm going to take him down and ground a pound. I said, you know... I do it. I don't yeah. let anybody take me down. I don't tell anybody if, that I wrestled. I don't tell anybody that I was in judo. I don't tell anybody that. Try to take me down. You're going to have a... And look at the modern fighters. The best wrestlers in the world are now getting exhausted, right? Trying sure. to do basic you know, wrestling because somebody who never wrestled competitively, competitively is stuffing their takedown. That was my, my thought. So Jerry went and fought... I forgot who... Uh, one of the Olympians. Kevin Jackson. Smashed him. Yeah, Kevin Jackson just smashed him. Yeah, he, he he pulled the fight out, no, but he he got hurt during that fight. So so yeah, yeah it's a, it's not a yeah. great way to win a lot of fights. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, so I was like, you know, sometimes you got to think like Patton. Not what's my not what's my strong suit. What's their weak suit? What what will work most of yep. the time? You know. If you're if you think you're a great boxer and. You get in an MMA event, and the guy's the only skill across from you is being a professional boxer. Maybe you yeah, should take him down. <laughs> Maybe turn it into rapid. No, I, I'm a great boxer. Yeah, Not as yeah. good as he is. Yeah, no, my, my, my uh, oh. partner on the podcast, Chris Lytle, you know, did 18 professional boxing matches, you know, got to a certain level. Yeah. And at one point, they offered him a fight with Andre Ward. And, you know, there are levels to this game, you know what I mean? <laughs> Great, Red. Look, as, as we're wrapping up here, I wanted to get you, like, I know one of the places you found a refuge in was as a referee for jiu-jitsu and stuff like that out west. You, you want to tell me a story there as, as we wrap up here? <laughs> a story about refing? Yeah, or anything interesting there, or a story that you want to tell to wrap up? Uh, I don't know. We did, we did discuss... My non-part in, in Smashing Machine, right? You want to discuss that? Yeah, let's talk about that. The, the Smashing Machine, right. obviously the Kerr documentary, and uh, you were around during those days, so fill us in. Well, well, yeah, actually, that. so the story of that is that's the same crew, that the film crew and everybody that was filming uh, our fights, and that begins at uh, my super fight with Pedro Hizo. Okay, that's down and, in Brazil. Yeah, that's in Sao, Sao Paulo. And actually, we were staying at a very nice hotel. We always stayed at the same place. This place called Maksud Plaza. Right. Which, that's, so, if anyone says they know something about those events, that's like my trick question. Hey, where did we stay? Yeah. Right? Because that's the same place we had the event. Right, because you, you could tell, like, in the fights, that they're, like, you're in, like, a conference room because it's got a real yeah. low ceiling. 
very distinctive feeling. Like anyone who's been there can describe that feeling that's when you get in the ring right above you. Yeah. You know? So uh, I kind of figured out what was going on because there, there was no, hey, we're doing a documentary. Okay. But I kind of figured something was up. And, um, you know, so good part and sad part of the story. And the sad part is some of the fighters had, had started taking this drug called Nubane, which is, uh, you know, a painkiller. Yep. And they're injecting it. And, and I, as we discussed, you know, you're supposed to do it intramusc- intramuscularly. And, and I watched several of them graduate to having having to do it as in they're an addict yeah having to do it three four times a day intravenously doing the same way you would do heroin and i was like guys what the what the fuck are you doing you know how is this any different than than being you know on heroin and um so i started noticing that this, this certain crew and certain cameramen were were getting scenes that you wouldn't normally associate with a fight video. I mean, there's there's fight videos, and then there's some backstage stuff. So I told one of them, and I, I you know, hey, I don't want to be in this. Any part of this, I don't want to be in it. And I told Federico Lapenda, I, I, I think I know what you're doing here. And it, to me, it looked like they were purposely following Mark around, and, and it looked like they were filming his addiction. Like it was a, you know, a pre, the, the scenes you would do before an intervention. Mm-hmm. And at, at the time, Mark was at his peak. And, and I got to say this about Mark. You know, I met Mark, what I think was his peak. I, I obviously think he could have been one of the best ever, period. Uh, genetically yeah. and skill-wise and intelligence, who knows where he could, he could have been the, the Michael Jordan of MMA. Yeah, he, offline he, you compared him to to a, a front line NFL level athlete. Talk, you know, yeah. Go ahead and include that, please. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, there's athletes and there's levels of athletes. Mark is on that freakish scale that, as, as I've always said, you know, said since back then to now, you know, the best athletes in America play in the NFL. Period. And anyone who wants to dispute that can just. The, the fastest track athlete will play football. You know, yeah. Uh, the the strongest athletes, the best, the best wrestlers. You know, the Bob Golics and the you know, the guys. They, had, they you play football. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm comparing Mark to that because he was just a you know a freakish athlete. Um, but I don't think he had anywhere near his potential. Sadly, his peak. Is probably when he began because his also his problems began at the same time. So I don't think he ever got any like really better than that first year after his Valley Judo fight. I don't see him progressing. I think because of his other problems, because um, it just becomes. I, I think, just my opinion, I think it becomes like physically detrimental. You just can't do the things you could do. Um, yeah. But just like I said, freakish athlete, sweetest guy in the world. I mean, like, it was amazing you meet somebody like that who's just the nicest, sincerely nicest guy in the world. Like, you do realize we punch each other in the face, Mark. 
Right? Yeah. <laughs> now, you know? you, you, that's the, one of the components, especially in the early days of the sport, where there was actually a debate whether it was sport or spectacle. Because, uh, you know, no, there's a, a comedian that has a great line that says, Nobody ever left a fist fight to go see the band play. You know what I mean? Fist fights, <laughs> yeah. they have a real attraction. You know what I mean? Did Kerr didn't like that. Is that was that your sense of it? Because I think you got to be a mean guy inside. Um, you know, and, and he and I actually talked about this, um, where he was talking about how his story and his brother was like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" You know, not as like this would be detrimental to her, but like, do you? And the, the italic would be on the word "want." Do you want to do this? Because wrestling is one thing, and wrestling is a very rough sport, you know, uh -huh. as far as getting near the edge of the rules and, you know, you don't necessarily do submissions, but you're purposely putting someone in a, you know, horrifically painful position to get them to move. Yep. Um, that's different than looking somebody in the eye and punching them in the face, you know? Yep. And a, a weird caveat is that you hear those, like, to make a, a military analogy of this, it's one thing to be a soldier. It's another thing to be a sniper and watch a guy through a scope and see his face before you pull the trigger. And mm -hmm. fighting is not a gunfight. It's a knife fight. You're looking right. It's very personal. You're looking right at the guy. You can talk to him. You talk to each other Yeah. while you're fighting. That happens. Uh, there's a fight of mine where I'm uh, fighting uh, uh, David Hood. Okay. And I reach across. I'm trying to set up this arm lock, and my thumb goes right in his eye. And he's like, he says, I'm out. And I really, if you really pay attention, maybe you can hear I'm like, hey, man, sorry. <laughs> you know, because I was. Sure. I was like, I, I, I'm not dirty. I'm trying to snap your arm in half, right? Right. But and without the iPhone. iPhone. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's rude. Um, so, I always, like, jokingly question Mark on that. You're like the one guy, I don't see you, you know, holding a foot lock and the guy's not tapping the pain and just going, all right, let me give this, you know, another 50, you know, 50% power and watch this bone break. Yeah. Feel it. You know, I didn't, I didn't see that. Yeah. So now, I, I would joke with him about it, you know? Yeah. Yep. And now like when you were talking there about him allowing himself to be videotaped by Lapenda and things like, I, I wanted to ask you, like, do you think that was a cry for help or like his attempted help, like to be so public about it and allow that to go on? Because, at the end of the day, what you're talking about, like, I remember his first tournament, I think it was, he, he annihilated Paul Varlins, right? Yeah. And then in the second fight, he blows the guy's teeth down his throat, a, 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 a yeah. Capoeira guy. It's like, those yeah. were about as violent. And then from there, you know, it really, you could see maybe Mark, I don't know, took his foot off the gas. I don't know. I, do you think he was, or, or was it the drugs? Do you think he was looking for help as well? Well, in, in the fight, I say that tactically he did, he did the best thing he could do is, you know, blow through the first two fights. And, you know, Fabio Gurgel was really close to, to submitting him several times. So Mark really had to pay attention. There's a, there's a backstory. We had, we had done a lot. Myself and Rick Lucero had trained with him that week before, and he had said, he and his coach at the time had said a couple of things about, He's gone against the best submission guys in the world. And we we're like, who? Who? What's their names? And because right. we rolled with him a couple of times. And, and Rick Lucero, who's like 160 pounds, 
submitted him several times, over and over. I got him a couple of times. I'm like, hey, if you were, if you were punching me or standing over me, I probably wouldn't get this right here. But you're kind of susceptible to this arm lock because you keep doing this. So we kept doing that with him over and over. And Fabio, got, even while getting smashed in the face, over and over, almost got him several times. So I think Mark's strategy was, was sound in that tournament. But now backstage, I'm still to this day, just kind of like, I would never let someone do that to me. Following me around with a camera while I'm, and allowing them to see my biggest, you know, that I've got an addiction or something. I, I, I can't imagine doing that. It, yeah, it doesn't fit with me. There's and, an old saying, you know, only fools compromise themselves, you know. It's like, well, why would you show that? It's a, it's, like, it's, yeah, like, why are you, why are you, you know, this might be something you get over in a week or two, or you, you conquer this, but you're, this is going to be memorialized for the rest of your life. Yeah. Right? So I told, I literally told the crew, I don't, not a second of me, not the side profile, nothing of me will be in this. And so, and there's a couple of scenes in there where you see, you know, if you've ever done any camera work, it looks like the whole like scene has been cropped short. It's because I might, I'm standing there behind him, uh -huh. talking to him, or I'm, you know, I'm somewhere in the group because I was like adamant. No, I, I think this is something bad. I don't want anything to do with it. And I don't mean bad. I was like, I, I just didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. And so, I, I haven't really watched it. I don't have to even talk about what event it is. And it's literally Pedro's and I's super fight. It mm -hmm. should be you know, mentioned, and I, don't, I think they might even edit that up, because I, I was just adamant. Yeah. I don't want no part of this, you know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, um, I, I thought... <clears throat> no, well, go ahead. To finish, I thought it was going to be, like, you know, I see that someone's going to play it, and they were going to publish it, and people were going were just going to lambast it, like, why would you do this to somebody? And it didn't. It became a, you know, semi-successful documentary. Yeah. I was like, why would you film a suicide? Yeah. Now well, let, let me ask you. Let, let me ask you because we're talking about the '90s and it was a different time. Newbane was, you know, kind of new, I guess. You know. Yeah. And um, so, how easy was it in Brazil? Will you talk a little bit about that? Because I can tell you, Mark Curry in 2003 at the Abu Dhabi's, he sat at a computer station in the in the hotel, like translating names and things like that to hand yeah. a list off. Like, how easy really was it in Brazil? And was that like the well, operating to, to buy pharmaceuticals? Yeah. Uh, well, apparently they have completely different laws. You know, in, in the United States, we have this Schedule One, Schedule Two, Schedule Three that the federal government says these are only for this and these are only in your prescription. Yeah. Apparently, you can walk into a pharmacy and just buy it. And in fact, I remember guys had these uh, lists. Um, uh, there was a uh, what tournament were we at? Uh, the lightweight tournament, uh, Makako and Pele, Rick Lucero fought, um, Joe, Joe, another American wrestler, but he thought was Asian. Okay. So a whole bunch of wrestlers were there, a whole bunch of, you know, Luca Libre guys were there and we're walking around and everybody was hitting the pharmacies and they had these pieces of paper that translated all these different, you know, known steroids. And I remember one, I don't remember what, it might be Danibal, but it was called Hermogenin. You could walk in and say give me this much homogenous and they were and the guys were just 
putting it right on the counter. And I remember, I'm not going to say who it was with, but they walked in, they spent a lot of money, and the guy reached down on his counter and pulled out a pack of syringes, you know, which wow. in the United States is a misdemeanor. It's, it's a crime just to possess syringes. Done. Just put them on the counter if you want those two. I was like, holy crap, guys. How are you guys going to get this back in the United States? You know? Yeah. What, what the hell? You know? Yeah. But, yeah, there was a list. Um, uh, yeah, and there, and, and, and there are hangers-on and enablers. Like, you know, a guy will show you the right pharmacy where, let you know, everything going on. There. So it was a, definitely a time where you could see where, unfortunately, Mark's personality kind of, he, he liked the... The painkiller, you know what I mean? It's like I think I think yeah. he didn't like the sport, and that led him down a dark path, man. That's uh, you yeah. Know. And like I said, I've, I've always been mystified at that. Why? Because, and I'm like, I always go back to that. Why he allowed that to happen? Because he's a smart guy. Yep. So when you say cry for help, I'm like, okay, I, you know, <laughs> there's some insight there that you know you may have that I I didn't at the time. I was like, I don't get it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Steroids are always going to be part of these, you know, single combatant, single event sports. They're just always going to, the day is passed where there's no one's going to be taking it or no one's, you know, there's Olympic athletes spending, and countries spending so many thousands of dollars to mask it. It's, sure. it's part of the sport. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. Well, I hate to end on that dark note, but R Richard Hurd, we've, uh, Gone through your entire career here uh, in MMA, definitely a pioneer, <laughs> one of the first technical fighters, you know, tough and technical, you know, those qualities would be good today in the sport too, you know what I mean? And and, and you were one of the pioneers of, of, of that advanced stage of the sport in my book. Yeah. Your fight with Rizzo didn't go your way, but it was uh, yeah. one of those that was a groundbreaking fight where you were watching two guys you know, trying something new. It wasn't a brawl anymore. So thank you very much for your time and for, for your history in the sport, man. All right. Brother. Thank you. Good and, day. Uh, yeah, keep in touch. Thank you, sir. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.